Now, as we begin this morning in Galatians 4, we're going to pick it up at verse 12. And I really love this passage of Scripture that's before us this morning, verses 12 through 20, because it shows us something different from the heart of Paul. As we've been making our way through the book of Galatians, we've been impressed, really, with Paul's brilliance. I mean, he's a brilliant theologian, he's a brilliant thinker, he's a brilliant debater. I mean, what a, what a lawyer this man would make, what an what a advocate for any position. And sometimes when we see somebody who is so intelligent and brilliant in their presentation like this, you can sort of automatically think that they don't have much of a heart. But Paul was a remarkable man. Not only was he very strong in the head, but he was also very strong in his heart. And now, starting with Galatians chapter 4, verse 12, he almost sweeps away the more intellectually focused arguments or theologically focused arguments. And now, he wants to speak from the heart with the Galatians. To speak as a pastor to his people. And that's sort of the setting of it as we come to verse 12 of Galatians chapter 4, where Paul writes, Brethren, I urge you to become as I am, for I am as you are. You have not injured me at all. Paul says, I urge you to become like me. And for many of us today, those are strange words to hear from Paul or from any preacher. You would probably think it's strange if I stood up before you on a Sunday morning like this and said, Hey, everybody, I urge you to become like me. You'd say, That sounds awfully strange. How could Paul ever urge someone to become like him? Shouldn't he only point them to Jesus? I mean, in what way should the Galatian Christians become like Paul? Well, it wasn't because Paul thought he was sinlessly perfect. Paul didn't walk around thinking, you know, I'm Mr. Perfect. Everybody should be just like me. No. He never would say to anybody, don't worry about following Jesus, you just follow me. No. You see, Paul's frame of mind was, he said, I'm following Jesus, so if you become like me, you'll be following him too. That was his sentiment. You see, Paul knew that there were things in his Christian life that needed to be real in the Christian lives of the Galatians. For example, Paul knew he had a strong sense of consistency in his Christian life. Paul stayed the same. I mean, he trusted in the Lord and the Lord alone for his salvation and for the strength of his Christian life at the very beginning. And now decades later, he's doing the same thing. The Galatian Christians weren't like that. They started out in the truth, but now they're looking to depart. Paul says, you should become like me in consistency. Isn't that something we need in our Christian lives? Consistency. Some Christian lives up and down, up and down. It's like a roller coaster and it's sad. You know, when I look at Christians and see them over five years or 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, and they're still walking with the Lord, they're still in the truth, they're still loving Jesus some 20 years later, that's something remarkable. That's a gift from God. That's no accident. That doesn't just happen. That's the work of God in their life. They should become like Paul in his consistency. You know, I would also think that Paul would say to them, you should become like me in my liberty. I'm free in Jesus. I'm not bound under the law of Moses. I haven't put myself under the Mosaic law, and neither should you become like me in that sense. 
So even though it sounds strange to us initially, in a way it makes a lot of sense for Paul to look at the Galatians and say, become like me. Now, let me ask you a very pointed question. I ask this to myself, not merely to you. Can you say to other people, become like me? Boy, you, you chafe at that, don't you? But let me ask you another question. If you can't say that, why not? I mean, if Christianity is true, shouldn't it be true in my life and in your life? Shouldn't every Christian be able to say something like this, especially to unbelievers? Shouldn't we be able to say, hey, become like me? Not in the sense of saying we're sinlessly perfect. Oh, no, we're not so foolish as to think that. I mean, after all, if somebody's going to become like me, they might learn a lot about repentance. They might learn a lot about, you know, making things right after you've messed them up. But at least they'll be following the direction of Jesus. And every Christian should be so satisfied with Jesus, so filled with his freedom and joy and salvation, that we want other people to become like us. Now, Paul brings the other aspect of it there in verse 12. He says, brethren, I urge you to be like me or to become like me, for I became like you. You see, Paul can say to the Galatian Christians, when it comes to legalism, I know where you're at. I used to live my whole life trying to be accepted by God because of what I did. So in that regard, I became like you. I saw that it was a dead end. Paul said, take it from someone who knows where you're coming from. Now, that, that's not an argument of high logic, but it's an appeal from the heart. Paul says, oh, please, follow, follow after me as I follow Christ. I know the direction you're going because I was there too. And notice what he says at the end of verse 12. It's very interesting. He says, you have not injured me at all. Now, why does he write that? Well, I think we're in one of the difficulties here that we find when we go through a book of the Bible and take, you know, five, ten verses at a time. Sometimes you miss the whole picture of the book. If we were reading through straight from Galatians chapter 1 up to this point, Galatians 4, it would probably make a lot more sense when Paul says, you have not injured me at all, because maybe we forget how strong Paul has been towards the Galatians. You know, he's called them foolish. He's called uh, people who agree with uh, the, the false teachers over there, he said, let them be accursed. Paul's used very strong language with the Galatians. And sometimes when people use strong language with us and confront us in a, in, a, in a direct way, sometimes we want to think that it's just because their feelings are hurt. No, it's not so much an issue of truth. It's a, oh, I must have hurt your feelings. And Paul wants to wipe that out of the way. He says, no, you haven't injured me at all. This isn't about my own personal hurt. I'm not speaking out of a, out of a case of, of hurt feelings. No, I want you to get this right, but for your sake, not for my own. No, Paul's filled with heartfelt emotion. He says, I urge you to uh, become as I am, for I am as you are. You have not injured me at all. Now, notice the next appeal he makes, not just an appeal to become like him, but now, now, he appeals in a different way, remembering his relationship with them. That begins at verse 13. He says, You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I, because I tell you the truth? 
Do you see Paul's whole uh, essence here in verses 13 through 16? First, he started out in verse 12 and he said, listen, this is my appeal to you. Become like me. Now he says, this is my appeal to you. Remember how you used to respond to me. Remember how things used to be between us. He remembers what it was like when he first came to the Galatians. Now, Paul came to the region of Galatia on his first missionary journey. And as he was making his way through that part of the world, he came to the region of Galatia and he preached in many of the cities and people got saved and there were churches springing up in all these cities in the region of Galatia. And Paul says, I want you to remember how it was when I first came to you. And verse 13 says something very interesting. He says that it was because of physical infirmity that he preached the gospel to them at the beginning. That must mean that Paul was compelled to travel into the region of Galatia because of some physical problem, an injury, an illness, a disease, some weakness. We don't know what it was exactly. The book of Acts doesn't tell us as much as we'd like to know. And so here we come into something that's kind of irresistible for Bible teachers and commentators, and that's to speculate on things that you really don't know. I mean, you should read the pages and pages and commentaries or listen to the discussions. What was Paul's physical infirmity? Now everybody, well, I got this suggestion. I got this. I've heard everything from epilepsy to eye problems to this, that, the other thing. People give all kinds of, well, it must have been depression. It must have been, who knows? The bottom line is, can I just say, it's not really important, is it? Paul had the vocabulary to say exactly what it was, but he didn't. He just left it broad, a physical infirmity. I tell you, it's like eating candy or something. You just can't stop from trying to speculate on what it was. But what's the point of it? We just know that it was some kind of physical infirmity. Far more important was the kind of reception that they gave Paul when he gave there. And now if you notice, it says here, verse 13, you know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. And the trial which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject In other words, when Paul got there, he looked like somebody who was a wreck. He looked like a mess. It would have been easy for the Galatians to despise or reject him, but they didn't do that. Instead, they responded with love and with compassion towards him. And we don't know what it was. We don't know what the trial was in his flesh. We do know from the book of Acts that Paul traveled from a region known as Pisidia. And that was a very low region with a lot of swamps and marshes. And in that area, there was a very common disease, a type of malaria that would afflict people. And we also know that the region of Galatia was much higher in altitude, some 3,600 feet. It may very well have been that Paul contracted this kind of malaria, which is extremely painful, extremely debilitating. And Paul went up to a higher altitude to try to find some relief from that malaria. Look, I've just done what I said I shouldn't do here, speculating on what that thing is. It's like irresistible. You can't can't resist not doing it. But it doesn't really matter what it was, right? But some people think it was this malaria. (laughs) Who knows? The important thing is there in verse 14 where it says, "...and the trial which was in my flesh you did not despise or reject." You could have rejected me. You could have despised me, but you didn't. You embraced me. As a matter of fact, you want to see how they embraced me? Look at verse 14. But you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. That's strong words, isn't it? Paul says, you received me 
as a messenger from God. That's what the word angel literally means, right? You say, well, you know, he's not saying he's an angelic being, he's just a messenger. But look at what he says there in verse 14. As an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus, you received me as if I was Jesus himself. You might think, Paul, you've gone off the deep end now. Now you're filled with pride. Your head's too puffed up. Someone's going to pop that head before it does somebody damage. No. Paul is praising the Galatians because they received him as a man with a real message from God, coming as authority as someone who has a message from God. Paul wasn't puffed up in himself, but he knew that the Galatians were on the right track because they really believed that Paul had the word of God. He had a message from God that he had come to bring, and they believed it. Friends, can I just tell you that if God really has spoken to us in this book, if this book is God's message to us, then it's one of the most important things we'll ever deal with our whole lives. Now, if it's not really God's message, then who cares? But if it is, we should take it seriously. And Paul says, I brought that message, and you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. You embraced me. You took me seriously. You, You respected me. There was love. There was respect. Look at it here, verse 15. You want to see the extent of it? He says, what then was the blessing you enjoyed? Verse 15, for I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Paul says, you loved me so much. You respected me so much. that You would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Now, obviously, he's speaking symbolically. If I pluck out my eye and give it to you, it doesn't do you much good, does it? But obviously, it's a very extreme way of talking about somebody who's going to go to great depths to demonstrate love. Now, this leads some people to believe that it was an eye problem that Paul had. (laughs) Very seriously. Matter of fact, at the end of the letter, he indicates that he writes with his own hand in very large... You see, I'm doing it again, what I said I shouldn't do. What's the point of speculating on it? it? But some people think it was an eye problem that he had. But you get the point here, right? Paul is looking back on his relationship with the Galatians, and he's saying... What respect you had for me. What love you had for me. And it was appropriate that they should have that love, that they should have that respect for Paul as an apostle and as a pastor over them, and that they should respond to that. Friends, let me say something that might sound funny, and I don't say it because I think there's any lack of it here in our own church family. I say it more for... For perhaps some of you who are visiting here, or, or perhaps some of you, maybe at another time in your life, God may move you to another place, and you may be in a place looking for a church. But you should be at a church where you can love and respect your pastor. You should love and respect your pastor. Matter of fact, John Calvin said this. He said, it is not enough that pastors be respected if they are not also loved. Both are necessary, otherwise their teaching will not have a sweet taste. And he declares that both had been true of him among the Galatians. He has already spoken of their respect, now he speaks of their love. Again, why is it important? So that you'll receive the word gladly from that pastor. And in any ideal situation, you're there at a church where you love and respect the pastor. And it's important that that happen. And what's some beautiful things that we find in this passage is how Paul talks about his relationship with the Galatians and their relationship with him. And now Paul looks back and says, it's not like that now. Now I have to rebuke you. Now I have to admonish you. Remember how it used to be. And Paul is appealing to those days. And look at what he says. You can see the change of thought here in verse 16 where he says, 
Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You used to love and respect me so much. Now I tell you the truth and you regard me as an enemy. And it's very sad. Paul was the kind of man who was more interested in telling the truth and in delivering God's message than he was in making the Galatians feel good. If it came down one to the other, he would rather give them the truth than have their approval. But he thinks it's sad that they regard him as their enemy or as an enemy because he tells them the truth. It didn't have to be that way. Very sad in the church culture today at large. By and large, people really regard it as the most important thing at church or in anything else is to feel good, to have a pleasant experience. And I hope that by and large, church is a pleasant experience for you. Certainly not our goal here to make you miserable, to afflict you. Got nice padded chairs. Lumbar support. We'd like you to be comfortable. We'd like you to have a nice experience here at church. But I I honestly believe that if the Word of God is being faithfully taught, and if the Holy Spirit is faithfully working among His people, that there's going to be times where you come to church and it's not so pleasant. And it's not so pleasant because what's being done up here on the platform isn't pleasant. It's not so pleasant because God's convicting your heart. God's speaking to you a truth that maybe you'd rather not hear. And Paul says, listen, let's remember that just because I'm telling you the truth, I'm not your enemy. No, no. You shouldn't regard me that way. They needed the truth more than they needed to feel good about where they were at. And the Galatians at one time responded this way. Paul's trying to appeal to their hearts and draw them back to that place again. I have to say that as a pastor, and I know that I speak on behalf of of our board of elders when I say this too. Sometimes it's sad and discouraging when it comes to these matters in church discipline. Because sometimes when you have to confront somebody over an area of, of truth or compromise in their life, and you need to talk to them, and you need to guide them into the truth, and we do that as a board of elders, and we, we talk about the issue, and we come and we bring the word before them, and we do it in love, and we bring it before them, you would hope that their reaction would be, Pastor, elders, thank you for showing me the truth. This is hard for me to hear, but I want to listen to what the Lord has for me to, to hear in it. This is tough, but, but I need this. That's what you'd hope to hear. All too often, you hear, see ya. You know, uh, I, I don't need this. And it's sad. Because it doesn't have to be like that. And it wasn't like that with Paul, with the Galatians. He's trying to bring them back to the place where it's not like that anymore. So he appeals to them just with this depth of heart based on his past relationship with them. Now, if you look at verse 17, he brings in another thought here. Now, he appeals to them based on a warning. He says, they zealously court you but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always and not only when I am present with you. Now, Paul says, listen, you may be regarding me as an enemy, but my opponents, they're zealously courting you. 
They aren't laying the groundwork before and say, oh, how much we love you and how much we care for you. And they're trying to make you feel good. Paul will admit that the legalists are zealously courting the Galatians. And legalism often comes wrapped in a cloak of love. But the results for no good. You know, it's very interesting in verse 17. Paul is alluding to a principle that is active oftentimes, many times today, among the cults. He says, they zealously court you, but for no good. There's a phenomenon that researchers use among cultic groups, and they say that they call it informally love bombing. And what it is, is when somebody comes into the group, when they have a prospective member, what they do is they barrage that person with love and care and attention. It's 24 hours, oh, what can we do? Is there anything we can do? And the person just feels overwhelmed and accepted by all this love they get from this group. But it really is a sincere love. It's not a sincere love because it's really done just for the idea of getting that person as a member and then getting them in the group. But this overwhelming thing, this zealously courting them, it's for no good. Because what do they want to do then? Look at the next line in verse 17. Yes, they want to exclude you. They want to draw you off into their own party. They want to build a wall around you. The the word there in the original language has the idea almost of being imprisoned there. And it's a dangerous power that exclusion can have there, cutting them off from the rest of the body of Christ. Paul says, no, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. Just they're partisans in their group. So they're giving you all the love. They're showing you all the attention. They're giving you all the strokes. They're telling you everything's great, how wonderful you are, just so they can draw you off into their own group. Paul says, I'm telling you the truth, but it doesn't mean I'm your enemy. I really like what Paul says in verse 18. He says, but it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I'm present with you. Paul, from the way he talks in verse 17 you might be led to believe that he's down on zeal, that he's down on Christians being excited. And Paul wants to say in verse 18, no, 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 it's good to be zealous in a good thing. That that we should be zealous in the good things. But we just need to have our zeal properly directed. You know, as you look around in the Christian world today, is it just me or, or is it true? Maybe you feel the same way. Christians used to be a lot more zealous than they are right now. I mean, I don't know, maybe we're just getting all older. Maybe uh, too concerned about being cool. Maybe it's just the, the signs of the times. It seems to be that people used to be more zealous for Jesus Christ than they are now. I wish we could get more of that zeal in the body of Christ again. More of a passionate love and commitment for Him. Now, Paul would say, it's good to be zealous in a good thing. But zeal that's misdirected is a dangerous thing. You know who knew this as good as anybody? Paul himself. Before he was a Christian, before he had his encounter with Jesus Christ, was he a zealous man? You better believe it. Zealous, killing Christians. Paul knew all about zeal in the, in the sake of a dangerous cause. And now he says, no, no, no. It's good to be zealous in a good thing, always. I want you to look how he concludes our section here this morning in verses 19 and 20. Now he appeals on a different basis, on a real fatherly, family kind of appeal. He says, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and change my tone, for I have my doubts about you. These are two remarkable verses. First of all, because Paul changes his metaphors, his illustrations a lot, just in one verse. Look at verse 19. My little children. First, he's speaking as a father, or you could say as a mother to them, right? 
I'm a father or, or a mother. I've given you birth in Christ. I, I founded you. I, I've got you started. And Paul had, he founded all those churches in the Galatian regions. He could look on those churches and say, yes, yes, this, this is the, the fruit of my labor before the Lord. You're my children in the faith. Just my little children. But then look at what he says next in verse 18. Excuse me, verse 19. For whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Now, wait a minute. He says, you're my children, but it's almost like I have to give birth to you all over again until Christ is formed in you. In other words, I gave you a good start. You were my children, but then something happened. You, you, you slid back from that place you were at. You got distracted. You went off into the wrong way. And now it's almost like we have to start all over again and I have to give birth to you again until Christ is formed in you. Giving birth isn't easy. It hurts, and that's why Paul says in verse 19, whom I labor in birth again. Paul's working hard, and he he feels like, I shouldn't have to be doing this. If everything went right the first time, I wouldn't be doing this, but I have to do it again. There was some kind of miscarriage. There was some kind of problem. But but here, here now, I need to give birth again until, and then now he switches the metaphor again. Look at verse 19 again. Until Christ is formed in you. Now who's pregnant? They are, and Jesus is in them. Christ is being formed in them. So Paul sort of weaves together three or four different metaphors there, but you get the picture, right? Paul says something went wrong in your Christian development, and you need to see Christ formed in you again, and that's what I'm working towards. Now, you never expected to find Christmas in Galatians chapter 4, did you? But look at it there in verse 19. Until Christ is formed in you. Do you realize that in a spiritual sense, spiritually speaking, every believer in Jesus Christ is just like Mary? Mary received Jesus inside of her by a miraculous conception, right? How does Jesus come into the life of a believer? It's a miraculous conception, right? It's a miracle of God. And then in the same way, you could say Jesus grew and developed in Mary. Well, in the same way, Jesus grows and develops in us. Now, it's not so much that Jesus changes or grows, but it seems like that almost in the way that we grow, in the way that we develop, in having Christ formed in us. And friends, the product is a full-grown, mature person in Christ. Paul spoke to the same way of thinking in Romans 8, chapter 29, excuse me, chapter 8, verse 29, where he says, For whom he foreknew, he also to be predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God wants to form Jesus Christ in you. Isn't that a measuring stick for your Christian life? How's the formation of Jesus in you? When people look at you, can they see Jesus? Can they see Jesus being formed in you? That's what Paul labored for. That's what he worked hard for as a pastor, as an apostle. He says, I want to develop in this. You are on the right track. You were on the right track, but now you've been sidetracked. I'm trying to bring you back to it. Listen to my appeal, Paul says. Verse 20, he says, I'd like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Paul doubts. Their danger of leaving the true gospel has made these strong words necessary, and it's made Paul's doubts necessary to address. That's a critical issue, isn't it? Is Jesus being formed in you? As Paul longed for it to be formed in the Galatians, 
the power, the life of Jesus Christ as something living within us. That's like Christmas every day of the year, isn't it? Jesus formed in us. I'd like to conclude with just some points as as how this passage speaks to us about the relationship between Paul and the Galatians as their pastor. First of all, this passage tells us several things about how the Galatians received Paul as their pastor. First of all, their reception wasn't based on his personal appearance or personality, right? When Paul came there, it would have been easy for them to despise or reject him because of the trial that was in his flesh, but they didn't. They embraced him, and that was a good thing. Why did they embrace him? Because he had the word of God. He came as the messenger of God. And isn't that what's most important? If the person is bringing the word of God. Now, you may come and sit through a sermon sometime, and, and you know, you almost may be, may be bored to tears. And it's very difficult for a pastor to make the living, active word of God dry and boring. But sometimes we have that unique gift of being able to do it. I mean, if you just let the Word of God speak for itself, it's alive. It doesn't bring life to the preacher. Excuse me, the preacher doesn't make it alive. It brings life to the preacher. But you may, it may be difficult. You may, he may not be expressing it well. He may sound confusing. He may not be making it clear. But you should at least be able to sit there and say, Oh, I see God's message to me. God has a message to me in this. God is speaking to me. Not so much about how you feel about it. But what's God's message to me? That was the attitude of the Galatians. You can also see that the reception wasn't based on their own theological whims. They weren't on little hobby horses. No, they received Paul as the messenger of God, even as Christ Jesus. They didn't just focus on one or two things. They embraced him completely. Give us your message. Sometimes that's easy for people to do. They focus on one or two areas of doctrine or one or two areas of experience in the Christian life, and that's all that's important to them. No, God wants us to have a full, a rounded Christian life. You can also see in verse 14, when it says, they received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus, they received Paul as a true messenger of God. Now, there's a lot to be said for Paul's attitude towards the Galatians as their pastor. Did you notice this? First of all, he was willing to serve and sacrifice for his people. He came to the Galatian people with a great trial in his flesh. And what did he do? Take a year off for vacation to recuperate? No, he got to work and he preached the gospel among them. That's remarkable love. That's remarkable sacrifice. Secondly, if you notice here in verse 16, Paul had the attitude towards the Galatians as a pastor. He was going to tell them the truth. His goal wasn't to offend people. But his goal was to bring the truth. And sometimes it would bless, sometimes it would offend, but nonetheless he would bring the truth. You also see that Paul loved the Galatians deeply, but never for a selfish motive, never to add unto himself or to increase unto himself. No, no, it was for their sake. Verse 18 shows us that Paul as a pastor, he wanted to see more than just excitement among the Galatians. He wanted to see them zealous about good things. You know, sometimes pastors fall into the trap of just wanting to see excitement, action of any kind among God's people. So they're not discerning. They don't care what people are excited about, just as long as they're excited. That's a prescription for spiritual disaster. If there's anything I could say stronger than, than anything I've said before, verse 19, 
Paul wanted to form Jesus in them, not himself in them. Did you see that? My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. That really should be the goal of any godly pastor. Not to replicate himself in the lives of the people, but Jesus Christ in the lives of the people. That's what's going to last. That's what's going to endure. You know, my friends, when you think about it, it's the, the little personality quirks or things that I have. Who cares about those? They're not irrelevant. They're not, they are not relevant. Double negative there. But you know, when you think about it, the, the last thing in the world that, that, that you want here at the church is a, is a, is a congregation filled with, with 37-year-old guys who like to surf, don't do it very well, but like to do it, and don't like to wear socks. You know, All that stuff doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. What really matters is Christ being formed in you. That's the essential thing. Jesus Christ formed, growing, active, living in you. You being conformed into the image of his son. Not my image, not another person's image, but the image of Jesus Christ being replicated in you. Friends, that's Christmas every day of the year. To have the image of Jesus Christ, him formed, him maturing, him growing in you. And when do you know when it's complete? I guess when we're in glory together with him. When the Bible says, when we see him, then we'll be like him. That's when it's going to be complete. Until that day, we just keep doing what we're doing. Growing, living, staying on track with the truth, seeing Christ formed in us. Friends, as I send you out of here this morning, my goal isn't to send you out forth as my representatives, not at all. It's hard to think of anything more vain than that. But it is to send you out as Jesus Christ representatives as having Christ formed in you and going out to touch a world for Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to build that in us because it, it's a big thing. We should pray for it together.